If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is The World According to Zig for November 17th. 2019. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show. We can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. If you want more directly political news of the day and my takes on the Trump administration, make sure you go to our other podcast, which is the Individual One podcast from the Global Story Network. You can find that on our website, which is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's freespeechbroadcasting.com. Although this particular episode of The World According to Zig will have a lot of uh, Trump-related news, or at least uh, my opinion on Trump-related questions. And that's because we're going to be doing what is usually uh, a feature we do about maybe twice a year at most, which is called Ask John Anything. And the reason why we're going to do Ask John Anything is because uh, there's a lot going on behind the scenes on a couple of different stories I'm working on, but that I'm not allowed to talk about them. And, and so I, and I don't know whether or not, uh, in either situation, there's two primary, uh, stories that I'm referring to, at least two, uh, that, um, there could be major developments on within the next week or two. And I, or they could not be, they may end up not having anything happening that's uh you know all that big of a deal in which case i'll eventually be able to tell you what occurred but as you well know if you're a fan of this podcast i can't stand it when i'm in a conflicted situation <laughs> and i'm i really can't stand it when i don't know what i can say what i should say and, and what i can't so i thought you know what we're coming up on thanksgiving it's near the end of the year we haven't done ask john anything in quite a while there's nothing that I know for sure that I can talk about uh, that would be normally under the auspices of the World According to Zig podcast. So this is a good time to do another episode of Ask John Anything. Now, for those who don't know what Ask John Anything is, it has quite a history. <laughs> In fact, you could argue that this uh, segment um, had an enormous impact on my life. In fact, I probably wouldn't even be married with kids right now if not for this uh, segment. I'm not exaggerating uh, because this was the segment that in 2003 got me fired 
from my job as a radio and television talk show host in Louisville, Kentucky. That's an entirely different story for another day. I've told it in past podcasts, but frankly, if there was ever going to be a movie about one episode in my life, this would probably be the episode. I mean, the Sandusky Penn State paternal thing would be a hell of a movie, but <laughs> it's, it's probably too toxic. This, this one is more entertaining and it deals with a, an ex-girlfriend of mine who was a television host in Louisville. And it also resulted in me being sued for defamation. I got fired by Clear Channel in Louisville, rehired by Clear Channel here in Los Angeles, where I've lived ever since, and got sued in a very high-profile trial, which I won unanimously and, and definitively. And it should never even gone to trial. It was the most bogus thing of all time. But it was actually a great experience for me to understand how broken our legal system is and how broken our media is, especially on issues even remotely related <clears throat> to uh, this kind of a subject. So that's the history of Ask John Anything. And, and I'm actually downplaying it. So, <laughs> so once or twice a year, we used to do Ask John Anything once a week in Louisville. But once or twice a year... Uh, I still do it on the podcast, and I figured, okay, this is a good time to do it. So I am going to try to answer as many questions as I can in about the hour that we have. If I don't get to your question, I apologize. It has nothing to do with you or uh, your question. Um, but I, I, I asked for questions via Twitter, email, and Facebook. And so let me just get right to uh, just about every question that I was asked. I was only asked a couple of questions. I thought, well, why would the heck would I even get into that? Or why it's not interesting to me. So the questions were largely pretty good. I'm just going to go in order uh, in, the, in, the, in the order in which I got them. The first question actually is an interesting one, but for many, maybe different reasons than the person who asked it thought. I'm basically asked, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of these questions. I'm basically asked, John, do you see a connection or, or a similarity between the whole uh, climate change, global warming, man-made, catastrophic, uh, uh, we're all going to die, uh, global warming theory, and the whole Penn State, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky case? And to most people at first glance, they're going to go, what? What, what, what was the possible connection there? And, and this person actually... Uh, referenced that um, there was a lawsuit involving uh, the uh, what some people believe to be a, a, the a scandal involving the pro-climate change uh, side of this whole thing in which somebody actually called, someone sued somebody for calling them the Jerry Sandusky of climate science. And that was the, the essence of their question. I'm going to take this in a different direction. I have said numerous times that from a very broad philosophical standpoint the argument in favor of catastrophic man-made global warming climate change is actually a lot like the argument in favor of jerry sandusky's uh, guilt and that is that the the vast majority of people especially in the news media and so-called experts think that this is a slam dunk it's obvious it's clear-cut there's no more debate we know what happened and the evidence is overwhelming yet they cannot provide a very simple answer to my continuous question. I have asked the same question of both the pro-man-made catastrophic people and the people who say that Jerry Sandusky is clearly guilty of child molestation. And that question is this. Can you tell me what would be evidence you're wrong? Just tell me. Give me, in theory, a fact or an occurrence or, 
or even you know a, a, even a theory what would be evidence that you're wrong and i in my experience i don't believe either side can provide that and that's a problem that's a big problem because you ought to be able to answer that question because otherwise you're in a religion and you're a religion that has come to the conclusion that you want to believe first and now you're seeing all the data through the prism of that religion now i will say that there's a heck of a lot more data and evidence in favor of climate change global warming than there is of jerry sandusky's guilt i happen to believe that that evidence is being misperceived and uh, misunderstood because of a self-interested political agenda i'm open to being wrong about that see on my side i can tell you very specifically i can tell you exactly what would be evidence that i'm wrong I can give you a very detailed list of things, and I have done so on both of these that would indicate that I'm wrong. With regard to climate science, it would be, um, here's what would tell me I'm wrong. If the uh, unanimous consent of the pro-global warming people made a very serious and detailed prediction for, say, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, and it turned out to be dead-on correct, if that happened... I would go, okay, that's evidence you're right. Obviously, there's a billion things I could say on the Sandusky side of things that if you provided it as evidence, I would say, okay, you're right, I'm wrong. No one can do that because that evidence doesn't exist. So in that very broad sense, there is a similarity, and it's, it's, it's exceedingly frustrating because that's an an a question you ought to be able to answer. Tell me what would be evidence or a sign you're wrong and no one can do that no one will do that because <laughs> that's very dangerous for a religion <laughs> and i believe that both have a very of all the attributes of a religious belief uh again on the climate change thing i get misperceived on this i'm not saying the climate's not changing climate has changed all the time you know i go to yosemite uh, national park in the in the valley there every year almost every year for summer vacation my wife's favorite place in the world Ten thousand years ago that valley was uh, created by a, a glacier so what happened oh oh there was global warming melted the glacier left one of the most beautiful places on earth sometimes climate change is good and sometimes it's not man-made <laughs> all right um next question this rate was going to be a five-hour podcast so i'm going to pick up the pace here uh angie asks is the united states in the trump era uh, going to no longer be the model for other countries yes that is correct we are no longer going to be perceived as the great hope for the rest of the world uh, and that's one of the many costs of the trump era jd asks have you told joe walsh a friend of mine who's running on the republican side for president against donald trump to combine forces with Bill Weld, the other Republican candidate going against Trump. And I have not. I've given Joe a lot of advice, most of which he has discarded, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, I have not done that because I don't even know how that would work. How do you combine forces? And, and unfortunately, the forces, the anti-Trump forces in a Republican primary were way too small to combine to begin with. My thing to Joe has always been, you need to be the only one running. Now, Mark Sanford dropped out, which is good. Unfortunately, it was a little late. Uh, Bill Weld is barely running a campaign except in New Hampshire. He's a non-factor in Iowa. So 
I, I don't see how that would work. And at this point, I mean, you're talking about very small numbers of people <laughs> to combine forces with, especially with Bill Weld, especially outside of New Hampshire, uh, as he's the former governor of Massachusetts. Gabby asks, will there be a backlash against Me Too, the Me Too movement? Uh, and, and then she also asks, there was a prominent Me Too media person who congratulated you on your work involving the anti-Michael Jackson uh, film on HBO called Leaving Neverland. Who was that person? <laughs> All right. Uh, as far as there being a backlash against Me Too, I don't see that happening anytime soon. I think there needs to be a very, very, very high-profile situation where a Me Too accusation is unequivocally 1,000% proven to be false. Now, that uh, is certainly possible, except it goes back to my climate change uh, Sandusky question. How can that even theoretically be possible? Because the Me Too people have now set up the rules to where you cannot prove a Me Too allegation to be wrong. You cannot do it because they won't even tell you how it's possible. So the only way, even in theory, I guess, is you know, have a situation where someone admits that they made it all up. But, uh, you know, as we saw with Jesse Smollett, uh, you know, there are people that still defend Jesse Smollett, even though that wasn't uh, necessarily sex abuse, although there was an element of sex abuse there since he claimed it was an anti-gay uh, hate crime. Uh, I mean, the, the Rolling Stone situation at the University of Virginia, that was a total scam. It had no impact. Uh, and now that was before Me Too, but... It would take a really, really set of dramatic circumstances for that occur to occur. And even if that ever did happen, my guess is the media would just move on. Nothing to see here. One day story. We're just going to pretend this didn't really happen. Uh, in an ideal world, by the way, I think Matt Lauer being accused of rape would be that situation. Uh, I think it's possible that that could still happen, but it's still a long shot because of the circumstances related to the media works and um you know and maybe you'll find out more about that in the next uh, couple of weeks as far as the prominent me too media person who congratulated me on my work for leaving neverland this is an area where i still don't know what i'm really allowed to say what i should say this is a relationship that has been uh very strained by uh for instance the matt lauer story and so I don't really think there's much to protect here, but I also don't want, because I know what's going to happen, if I reveal this person's name, there's going to be dozens of Michael Jackson fans who are then going to uh, confront this person on social media, and that's going to potentially create a problem. So on the other hand, you know, I feel like my go-to position is transparency. I think you're going to be able to figure out who this person is. I mean, I've mentioned them multiple times on the podcast it's a prominent female media person who is associated with me too and uh and also has been very critical of nbc and matt lauer if you can't figure out who that is i'm sorry i can't help you but uh but this person has really confused me because they're all over the map on the things that they have privately uh, praised me for and the things that they have privately told me that uh, they think I am totally wrong on. Uh, I don't know what to make of it. I uh, am very confused and 
and I want to hold off on telling the whole story until I get more information. As far as uh, the whole leaving Neverland thing, obviously I got a lot of questions involving that. I'll, I'll sprinkle them in as we go. Uh, someone did ask me whether or not I'm going to be part of Taj Jackson, who's been a guest on this podcast a couple of times, part of his documentary. There's no. Um, I'm not even sure why I would be part of that. Uh, although, Char first of all, Charles Thompson, who's also been a guest on the show a couple of times, uh, is basically his co, I don't know if he's his co-director or whatever, but Charles is deeply involved in that. Charles knows the whole Michael Jackson case way better than, than I do. Uh, but also, and I'm not even sure why Charles is involved, because my understanding of the documentary is that it's much more about people who knew Michael telling their stories of Michael Jackson than it is a direct attack on uh, HBO uh, and Wade Robson and James Safechuck and the other allegations against Michael Jackson. But I could be wrong about that. That's just what I was told uh, what it is, but I have not been interviewed for it. I'm not working on it. I have nothing to do with it. I wish him the best with it, but uh, I have not, not, nothing at all uh, to do with Taj Jackson's documentary. Gabby asks, will Matt Lauer defend himself publicly, and will he sue Brooke Nevels or Ronan Farrow? Um, I've had extremely extensive uh, interaction with Matt Lauer since I visited him a couple weeks ago in the Hamptons for six hours in his kitchen and wrote about uh, what I perceive to be his very compelling counter story to the Ronan Farrow book where he is alleged to have raped uh, Brooke Nevels, a former NBC uh, producer. Um, I am not at liberty to talk about that uh, transparently at this time. At, at a later point, I, I promise you I could probably do several podcasts on that whole interaction. Uh, I it is my belief he will be defending himself publicly, hopefully uh, fairly soon and hopefully in a, in a dramatic fashion. As far as him suing Brooke Nevels or Ronan Farrow, uh, I know his attorney wants him to do that. That's as far as I'm going to go. Um, but I do I see that happening? I, I, I Personally, I don't, but not because he doesn't have a, a strong suit. Uh, if my wife turned into a full-blown Trump supporter, what would you do? Wow. Um, she has the virus. Uh, sometimes it inflames. Uh, I am constantly having to give her the antidote for, to the Trump cult virus. There are members of her family that are pretty much in full-blown Trump cult uh, virus mode. So it's possible. That is possible. She could go full-blown uh, Trump supporter. You know, we're, we're pretty much stuck with each other. We're married. We both believe in the sanctity of marriage. We have two young kids. We've undergone an enormous amount of, uh, of adversity <laughs> in, on numerous levels, including with my crazy career uh, since we got married uh, over nine years ago. It would cause problems. I mean, I've lost relationships over Trump, uh, some really important relationships to me, not because I wanted to, but because that's just the nature of Trump. Everything Trump touches dies. So I don't know whether or not we would be able to uh, survive that. That would be an interesting challenge. So I don't have an answer for that. I would like to believe we'd be able to survive it, but I honestly don't know. What is the key piece of evidence that establishes Jerry Sandusky's innocence? Now, this kind of goes back to the first question. This is an impossible question to answer. Uh, first of all, uh, I would flip it around and I would say, 
please tell me what the hell the key piece of evidence is that shows he's guilty because there's none. There's zero. That's what people don't understand about this case, among many, 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 many things. But the bigger picture is that we now live in a world where you can make an allegation of sex abuse against somebody, right? You can do that in one sentence. In order to combat that allegation, you need 100,000 words you, because you that's the those are the standards and the rules that the other side have created you can't just say well he he didn't do it the the closest you can come to is he wasn't there that day but guess what they don't give dates i mean imagine that imagine trying to defend yourself over a uh, 10 15 year period where your accusers don't even give dates uh, uh, and and sometimes can't even keep the the location straight uh, about uh, when and where something happened. Uh, and so, you know, I, I've often uh, described the counter narrative here as having to create a, a giant uh, mural uh, where there's 100,000 data points in order to combat uh, these stories. And so, therefore, you can't just give one key piece of evidence. But since I always try to answer every question as honestly as possible, that's the nature of Ask John Anything. That's why I got fired back in 2003 and during this uh, particular uh, uh, segment. Uh, there is, if I had to, with a gun to my head, give one piece of evidence that in a rational world would blow up the entire case against Jerry Sandusky. And I realize that this won't do it because of the rules that are created, the back crap crazy rules. But if I had one piece of evidence, it would be this. We have medical records during the key times of the most important allegations that prove that Jerry Sandusky has virtually no testicles. Right? I mean, come on. I mean, can I get better than that? I mean, he has no testicles. So, I mean, and, and by the way, I'm not just arguing that a 60-some-year-old man with no testicles could be uh, anally raping 15-year-old uh, boys without uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, tying them down, beating them up, paying them off, none of that. That's absurd on, on its face. Um, if you take away uh, any testosterone, he has no testosterone as well, uh, you take away his testicles, now this is impossible. This is physically impossible, but it's even more than physically impossible. Here's the key part. I know who the 36, 37 guys who got paid $120 million by Penn State are. I know their stories. I've seen the documents. I got leaked the documents. So it's not just the eight accusers at trial. The Everyone who got paid money, that's a huge number of people, massive amounts of money. Not one person. Not one person in their, uh, their, their settlement uh, story, and then these are stories, folks. These are, these are science fiction-level stories. Not one of them, not one of the 36 or 37, depending on what it is these days, guys who got paid, ever told Penn State anything along the lines of, yeah, uh, by the way, uh, the weirdest thing about uh, Jerry forcing me into a, a sex act is that he has no testicles. Not one said that. Not one even though that would be something that every teenage boy would immediately notice. Uh, and that would be a multi-million dollar uh, golden ticket, a golden ticket of proving that you were sexually abused by Jerry Sandusky, as if anyone had to prove it to begin with. They never did. All they had to do was 
say the right magic words, had the right lawyer, uh, and Penn State was happy to give away several million dollars. But uh, if that had been, if if any of this was real, somebody would have said it. Everyone would have said it. Everyone. By the way, victim number one, Aaron Fisher, would have been the first person to say it because he alleges at trial that he was forced to give Jerry Zandusky oral sex a hundred times. Yet he never mentions he never mentions that Jerry Zandusky has virtually no testicular matter. So uh, that's the number one piece of evidence that I would uh, uh, provide, although there are thousands. There are thousands. All right, other questions. What's more likely, a Republican finding their balls or Democrats figuring out a way to win the general election against Trump? Oh, clearly, Democrats winning the general election, mainly because they might be able to do that without any competence whatsoever. They might be able to do that simply by virtue of the fact that well over 50% of the American people don't want Trump to be reelected. And that therefore, it might be a situation where they can't screw it up. Uh, I don't believe any Republican is going to find their balls. I, I see, if, if anything, I see Republican balls shrinking even further, shrinking smaller than even Jerry Sandusky's balls. Uh, Joe writes, and I know this person, Joe, he's actually a supporter of mine on the Penn State thing, but he's a Trump, he's a Trump uh, cult member. So, and, and, and by the way, this is one of the many frustrations of my whole Penn State paterno Sandusky crusade is that so many of my biggest supporters on that also happen to be Trump cult members. So, it, so these people will believe me about Jerry Sandusky being innocent but not about Donald Trump being unfit for president. That, that's just, it's just unbelievable. You cannot be serious. But, but Joe asks, you love Joe Biden. That's not true. I have never said I love Joe Biden. I want Joe Biden to win because he's the least bad option and he's old and he's probably going to run for one term and he's the only shot we have at a reset button here. I think Joe Biden is a gaffe machine. I think he's way too liberal. I don't think he's uh, got all his wits about him. He's never had his all his wits about him because he's not that smart. But I believe him to be better than a second term for Donald Trump. Anyway, Joe asks, if he loses, would you endorse Elizabeth Warren? No, I would not. I would not vote for either uh, candidate, just like I didn't vote for Hillary in 2016. Not that my vote matters, not that my endorsement matters. Uh, but in, in fact, if Warren was the nominee, I might not even, uh, I might shut down the podcast. I might shut, shut down um, my columns at Mediate because be like, there would be no point. I mean, there would be no point because there would be no scenario that would be less bad than the other. I would consider a Warren presidency to be probably as bad as a second Trump term. It would mean it would be different, but it would, I wouldn't see any scenario there that would be even marginally better than the other. So I don't know what the hell I would do, but it would not be to endorse uh, Warren. Um, Merrick asks uh, what I thought an odd question. Does Trump have any sort of plan to promote Warren's candidacy because she's the one he wants to run against in the general election? And my response to that is, Merrick, have you noticed what happened in the Ukrainian scandal? Have you heard about impeachment? Because that's what that was all about. The whole thing was about destroying Biden so he would get Elizabeth Warren as his candidate so he can go on the whole Pocahontas hunt. That's what the, that is what the whole thing is. So I'm, I'm a little baffled by that. But then Merrick asks... If Biden wins, and this person is a, a Biden fan, if Biden wins, 
uh, who should be his vice presidential nominee, and should it be Pete Buttigieg, the, the mayor of South Bend? Now, I have thought about the the vice presidential problem that each of the major Democratic candidates is going to have. And I have to tell you, this is an underrated issue because I can't even conceive of who the right VP is for any of the major candidates. And I consider the major candidates at this point to be Biden, uh, Warren, and Buttigieg. I, I don't believe Bernie Sanders is going to be the nominee, but even he would have a massive vice presidential problem. I can't conceive of who the right person is. Now, for Biden, it's a little bit easier. There's, you, to me, you got to go female. I mean, you cannot have two white males as the Democratic ticket in this woke age. I just find that impossible to believe. I realize that Buttigieg gets some points because he's gay and he's married to a man. But frankly, I think that causes problems even on the vice presidential ticket. To me, you're going to be literally turning off just as many people putting Buttigieg and the VP spot as you would if he was in the presidential spot, especially with Biden being 100 years old uh, and, and therefore Buttigieg potentially coming in as either, either president or the Democratic nominee four years later. So I don't know that you get around the gay issue, which I believe in certain parts of this country is a lot bigger problem than the media is ever going to give it credit for, for better, for worse. I'm not, I'm not justifying it. I'm telling you what it is. So I don't see, well, I get why the Buttigieg question got asked. In some ways, it makes sense. Uh, and geographically, it makes sense who you're trying to appeal to. And it might even work. But I think it's dangerous. So, you know, there are other female options that Biden might have. Uh, some of them are actually running for president that I think would make a lot more sense than Buttigieg. Frankly, though, the one who I think has the biggest problem for a VP nominee is Warren. I defy anybody to tell me how she could come up with a with a, uh, a, a a VP nominee that makes any sense. She has to go male because you can't have two females. I'm sorry, two females would, will will not beat Donald Trump. I just do not believe that in a good economy with the peacetime. I, that's just too much. As Barack Obama said this week, it's too much. He didn't say that specifically about two females on the ticket, but that's just too much. You're going too far. You cannot have two women on the ticket. And so therefore she has to go male. Okay. So which male? Well, it can't be booted judge because one, they don't get along. They're actually going at each other's throats, but two, because now you go uh, uh, female and gay male, which <laughs> frankly, might be even more toxic politically than two females. And so who's the male? And I don't know who, could it, who it could possibly be. Could it be a black male? I guess it could be a black male, uh, you know, Cory Booker or something. But that, again, that's too far. That's too far. She would need a white male on the ticket, in my opinion. And I don't see how there could be a white male on her ticket. I just don't see it. That's one of the problems I have uh, politically with the Warren uh, candidacy. Uh, moving on. If Trump gets crushed in the 2020 election, how will conservative media members rationalize it? Oh, that won't be difficult. No, no, no. They, they, they become experts on rationalization. Uh, that will be the fault of the media. That will be the fault of never Trumpers who didn't support Trump to the end. That's not going to be their fault. They're also, by the way, going to claim that it really didn't really get crushed. 
that there was election fraud and that you can't trust these results. I mean, trust me, there's not going to be any problem rationalizing. I mean, Trump, the, the level to which Trump would have to get crushed is unrealistic uh, based upon the current circumstances for there to be any kind of reckoning within the conservative media. That's not going to happen. Media uh, Mimi asks, would you debate Larry Elder, who is a conservative talk show host uh, here in Los Angeles, on Trump being racist? Um, see, I don't know for sure that Trump is racist. I mean, I realize I understand why people think that he is. Uh, look at my African-American over here. Uh, uh, and uh, is it possible that he's racist? Yes. That wouldn't be the topic that I would uh, want to debate Larry Elder on. I would be happy to debate Larry Elder on Trump in general. By the way, I happened to um, see Larry Elder this week. I went to the premiere here in Los Angeles of a, a documentary called No Safe uh, Places that uh, stars Spaces. I'm sorry, No Safe Spaces. No Safe Spaces starring um, Dennis Prager and, and Adam Carolla. And Larry Elder was there. Now, this is the second time that I have been in Larry Elder's presence uh, in recent times because we, I went to another uh, conservative film uh, premiere. And Larry Elder avoids me like the plague uh, because I think he's afraid of me. Uh, Larry Elder tr pretended to be my friend when I was at KFI in Los Angeles. And that, in retrospect, uh, he was just trying to get my job because he knew he was going to get out of KBC. Uh, we had a very uh, uh, high-profile lunch together right outside the offices of KFI, which, in retrospect, was clearly a maneuver on his part. He is a he's a scumbag, and he's a he's a he's a uh, grifter, and he's not very smart. And uh, I would destroy him in any sort of debate, uh, but he would never do that because he's dumb, but not dumb enough to debate John Ziegler about uh, about Trump. That's not going to happen. Uh, has Me Too permanently ended any chances? Uh, for journalistic depth and integrity going forward. Well, yeah, certainly on the issue of sex abuse. Yes, because um, they've changed the rules to where now you can't do journalism. You cannot do journalism. Jane Mayer of The New Yorker, a liberal who is Ronan Farrow's co-worker on investigations going after Brett Kavanaugh, a, a woman with e e tremendous liberal credentials. She tried to defend Al Franken, who hasn't even been accused of anything remotely criminal, and there's no evidence against Al Franken, and he's a, a, a liberal icon. She did that, and she got crushed. She got crushed. Nobody, look, here's the rule. Here's the rule. Nobody wants to be John Ziegler, okay? <laughs> nobody, and I don't blame him for not wanting to be John Ziegler. So nobody is going to, uh, to do something, especially when gigs are so hard to get and find and keep, uh, and, and no one wants to be without a gig. Nobody's going to do something that's going to risk the gig. And the easiest way to risk a gig, I mean, it used to be racism. Now it's you go up against me too. You're done. Only John Ziegler has a set of balls uh, that are strong enough uh, and safe enough uh, to go up against me too, at least in this country, uh, because I don't give a shit, uh, mainly because I have nothing left to lose. Uh, and so I don't see how that turns around. I really don't. What is the end game for Republicans who hope to have a future who are sucking up to Trump? And um, I don't know that I think the premise of this question is faulty. And, and the premise is that somehow Trump will be gone, he'll be discredited, and that therefore these people are going to suffer some sort of consequence in the long run. I don't see that happening. First of all, Trump is never going to be discredited in the minds of the cult. Uh, 
and the conservative media because they're personally invested in him. They're invested in him. And number two, Trump is never going away until he dies. Even then he might not be really going away. I mean, his Twitter feed will probably be programmed to keep spouting out fake news tweets after he's dead. I mean, so, so this is a permanent issue, and it, it's at least permanent enough to where by the time it's over, there's not going to be any Trump are sucked up to Trump, whether it's in the conservative media or within the Republican Party. And here's the bottom, here's the very last thing they'll always be able to say. Look, Trump was terrible. Uh, and, and did I do some things that, that weren't based in truth? Yeah, but I knew I had to fight the good fight to save America from socialism. That's how it's all going to be portrayed. And the people that didn't suck up to Trump weren't the real fighters. They were the wussies. They were the, the, the cucks. They were the ones who weren't real conservatives. It's all bullshit, but that's what they will say. And because people are invested in that narrative, they will believe it. Uh, similarly, a question I got, why haven't retiring Republicans in Congress turned on Trump? And uh, I am baffled by this. I asked my good friend, John Yarmouth, who knows a lot of these guys, congressman from Kentucky, Democrat, he didn't have a very good answer. I, I thought at least on the procedural vote, there would be retiring Republicans vote essentially against Trump. And, he, it's just an, and it's just a perfect example of just how pathetic and gutless uh, politicians are in this day and age. It's a, it's a little bit like, um, I think this has happened in both politics and media. You know, people have always gone into Hollywood because they want to become famous, right? And people who want to become famous aren't going to do something courageous, right? I mean, because they're all about themselves. They're narcissists. Well, for the last generation or two, people that have gone into media and politics have done so for the same reasons. They want to be famous. And they're narcissists. And who are narcissists are not going to take unpopular positions. They're not going to do anything that, that gets them criticized. They're not courageous people. And that's the only thing I can come up with as, uh, as a, an explanation for that. What are your thoughts on Jordan Peterson? I don't even know Jordan Peterson that well. I know that he's in the No Safe Spaces documentary. He's a, a free speech uh, commentator from Canada, I think. Uh, and so I don't like talking about things I don't know other than he was in that film I just saw this week, and he was impressive. He seems like a smart guy. Uh, I know he's controversial, but um, as a libertarian free speech advocate, uh, from what I can tell, uh, he seems like a, he, he's uh, probably uh, on the good side of things. But I don't know him uh, well enough to go further than that. Uh, I got a lot of questions involving leaving Neverland and my Game of Thrones theory. I have mentioned this numerous times that I have come to the conclusion that what was really happening with HBO and uh, their attacks on Michael Jackson had uh, much less to do with sex abuse than it had to do with a larger corporate Game of Thrones situation. Now, this is similar to the situation I've already referenced with a relationship that I don't know whether or not it's still worth maintaining because that relationship has been under pressure and may not be uh, worth maintaining. But uh, I, I don't feel totally at a liberty to, to uh, spill all the beans, but I'll give you a little hint. I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna give the the Jackson fans a little hint here. Uh, here's what I would suggest you do if you want to figure out this Game of Thrones theory. Go back to the time period of when Leaving Neverland was announced and when it aired on HBO, and look at some of uh, the situations that occurred among HBO executives at the time, 
And specifically, there are two situations where high-profile HBO executives suddenly left their jobs. I'm just going to suggest that that was not coincidental. I'm going to suggest that um, the best way to describe what was going on, and this is probably going too far, but that's just, this is what I've made a career out of doing. I'm going to suggest that if you've ever seen the movie The Untouchables with um, Kevin Costner and Sean Connery, you remember the line from Sean Connery when he says, and I'm not going to do a Scottish accent, uh, you want to get Capone? Here's how you get Capone. He puts one of yours in the hospital. You put one of his in the morgue. All right? That's my impression, and it's not based upon <laughs> just a wild theory. That is my impression of what happened back when Leaving Neverland was about to be aired and it got out of hand, and those that went on the search-and-destroy mission for putting people <laughs> in the morgue didn't get the result that they expected. They, they expected it to de-escalate, and instead it has now escalated into a giant pissing match among corporate uh, giants that has nothing to do with whether or not uh, Michael Jackson ever sexually abused James Safechuck or Wade Robson, which he did not. That's probably more than I should have given you, but hey, that's who I am. Have you ever perused Glenn Beck's chalkboard on the Ukrainian uh, situation? I like John, and I wish he had a friend. <laughs> um, I have not uh, given a full uh, hearing to Glenn Beck and his conspiracy theory on what really happened with Ukraine, largely because I perceive it will be too personally painful uh, for me to do that. Uh, I am an anti-conspiracy theorist, and I have not been convinced that anything that Glenn is talking about is relevant, even if true, because unless and until he can uh, discredit the idea that Trump was doing what we now know that he did, uh, I don't care. I don't I don't find it inherently credible because I'm an anti-conspiracy person and this seems really convoluted from what I can tell of it, uh, but I also don't think it's relevant. Uh, similarly, um, Manuel asks, why does Glenn Beck have you on to talk about everything but Trump? Well, I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> I think he knows that it would not go well if he and I were talking about Trump. And I will say, I'm not sure he's going to have me on to talk about anything. <laughs> In the, in the future, because, um, and this again is in the realm of things I would love to talk about, would love to talk about in their entirety and may someday, but he and I have had an off-air falling out uh, related to Trump that is, uh, frankly, of all the falling outs I've ever had with major media people, this one, um, it's just... It's just flat-out ridiculous. Uh, it's It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Now, there's been an attempt to repair that, um, I have tried to repair it. Glenn seems to have tried to repair it, it's, but it's in a very vague state right now. If I had to guess, I wouldn't shock me if I'm never on Beck's show again, not because uh, we hate each other, just because uh, it's one of those things just better left unprovoked at this point. And this goes to the power of Trump. 
Trump corrodes everything. I mean, it is amazing how many relationships I have had, both in and out of the media, that have been negatively impacted because of Trump. And I have tried very, 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 very hard to not criticize uh, Glenn Beck, uh, who I've gotten to know pretty well on and off the air, for his support of Donald Trump, because I understand the circumstances that he's in. It's not easy, and he's got a lot of people who work for him who depend on him for their livelihoods. And there's a reality there. And so I've been very understanding of Glenn. I think I've been incredibly uh, understanding of Glenn. But uh, we had an episode, which maybe someday I'll be able to tell you about, which is just mind-blowing. But I don't know how that's going to end up. Do you think there is a connection between Ronan Farrow's family history and his credibility as a journalist? Absolutely. I mean, it is unbelievable to me that Ronan Farrow has become the arbiter of uh, what is is and is not sexual abuse between men and women when, first of all, he's gay, which I don't have a problem with, but he's never been in a male-female adult relationship, so he's not really qualified to understand the context. But more importantly than that, his literal last name is Farrow. Mia Farrow is his mother. Woody Allen is supposedly his dad, although a lot of people think it's Frank Sinatra. And so they're all over his family situation are things that should discredit him as a journalist on the whole Me Too issue. His mother made what I believe, and many people believe, to be a false allegation of sexual abuse against his dad in the middle of a custody battle involving a seven-year-old girl. And Woody Allen was never charged with that, and I, I, I think the, the allegation is not credible. Uh, I mean, Woody Allen is weird, but I don't believe there's any evidence that Woody Allen is, is a sex abuser. And, uh, and Ronan has clearly sided with Mia Farrow on that, uh, and it absolutely has to have impacted his perception of the issue. And it's not a surprise that at a very young age he becomes an activist on alleged sex abuse and that he sees everything as sex abuse and every allegation of sex abuse is being to be inherently credible no matter how absurd it is no matter how uh, lacking in evidence it is no matter how contradicted it is by the actions of the people who are making the accusation so a hundred percent i think it's it's amazing it's it's to me it's a lot like donald trump being president we picked exactly the most unqualified person in America to be president from a psychological standpoint. And we did the same thing with picking the person who would be most credible on Me Too issues. It's just an indication of just how broken our entire system is. Uh, Jordan asks, what strategies should the GOP pursue to expand its base? No one's going to ask me that question. And frankly, I don't care anymore. I, I don't I don't consider myself a Republican. I'm way, 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 way more conservative than Donald Trump ever dreamed of being. I have no party. I have no home. I'm a man without a country. I don't think at this point there's anything they could do to pursue their base in the short run, in the long run. I mean, the answer would be to get rid of Trump, stand on principle, take your wounds, lick your wounds, and try to come back with some semblance of credibility. Uh, but that ain't going to happen because uh, they've they've sold out. They're, they're, that horse has left the barn. Uh, it's Trump's party now. Uh, what happened at KFI Radio in Los Angeles? Why uh, were you there for such a short period of time? Well, frankly, it didn't feel like a short period of time. I was there for four years. It felt like 40. Uh, I mean, for those who don't know, KFI Radio in Los Angeles, uh, when I 
when I was uh, hired there after being fired by the same company in Louisville, was the number one talk station in America. Not just in Los Angeles, in America. Most listened to talk station in America uh, when I was there. I at first was the late evening host, and then I, I got promoted to be the early evening host right after John and Ken, who are legendary uh, afternoon hosts. Uh, and it's really the reason, the short answer for why I was only there for four years is because I got into a fight with John Cobelt, who is the, the primary, uh, afternoon host of, of John and Ken. Interestingly, guess who else was at the no safe spaces premiere here in Los Angeles, John Cobelt and John Cobalt and I were at most five feet away from each other. <laughs> And I don't think he knew I was there, and I couldn't confront him because I was there with some friends who uh, could, were not in a position to where uh, they could be associated with someone causing a problem. <laughs> so I was on my best behavior. It's, I, I, it was so frustrating being at this No Safe Spaces premiere because not only would I have loved to have confronted John Cobalt, we've never seen each other since I left KFI, uh, and, um, but also Leanne Tweeden was there. Who uh, who works with Dr. Drew, which is Adam Carolla's you know longtime partner. Leanne Tweeden is the woman who I've gone after because I think that she contrived an allegation against Al Franken, but I couldn't go after her either. But anyway, it was all because of a fight on and off the air with John Cobelt over the Iraq War. Cobelt, uh, I, I I'm not going to get into all the details because they're amazing, and I don't want to do give it short shrift. Um, but uh, in my view. Uh, Cobalt screwed up. He knew he screwed up, and he, he realized his only real option was his best defense was a good offense. And he went uh, on a search-and-destroy mission on me. Uh, KFI was way more invested in him than me because he's the afternoon guy. He's bringing in a lot more money than I am as the evening guy. And, uh, and so I was then tortured. I was then tortured at KFI, literally tortured for about a year. They were trying to get me to quit because I still had a lot more left on my contract. I was not going to do that. <laughs> and so if you know anything about me, I'm not a quitter. And so they did everything they possibly could to get me to quit. They failed, and they eventually paid me out my contract. Uh, so that's the short version of what happened at KFI. But you know what? Uh, I have never one day, not one day, have I ever said, gee, Boy, I miss being at KFI, or I wish I hadn't blown things up at KFI. I wish I had just gone along and become a sellout and uh, and been a whore like these guys are. Because John and Ken are total whores. They are complete whores. They don't believe half of what they're saying on the air. It's all about just cashing a check. And that's what talk radio has become, especially in the Trump era. I know, I, I'm my God, I'm sure it's way worse now. Because it was bad when I was there, but it's way worse 12 years later because now the business model is broken for talk radio, and now they got to sell out even more, and especially in the Trump era. So, I mean, it's like whores on steroids now. So I have never once, not one day, have I ever thought, boy, gee, I wish I was still at KFI. <laughs> never, ever, or talk radio even in general because uh, life is too short to be a whore. Uh, Sarah asks, how will impeachment turn out? Uh, Trump will be impeached. It will go to the Senate. I believe Mitt Romney will probably vote guilty, but it would not shock me if he did not. And therefore, uh, if I had to guess, I would say that Trump will get a majority of votes to acquit, and he will, he will use that as vindication. And it might even turn out to be somewhat positive for him politically. I, my guess is, though, it'll be a wash politically. But that's my guess. 
Layton, who is a big supporter of mine on the Penn State, uh, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky uh, story, asks, how big and important is it to just get some of the PC, politically correct, Penn State crowd and regular citizens to think this case over again? For example, the female who made a Facebook post about Aaron Fisher, that's victim number one, hanging out with high school girls, believes he is full of shit and, and was never abused by Sandusky. How important are those people's role in all of this, if we want to get this looked at once again. Well, I mean, every little bit helps. <laughs> Ironically, uh, Leighton, I would say, uh, why haven't you gotten your friend who knows Aaron Fisher is full of crap to be willing to speak publicly? I mean, that's the that's the <laughs> problem here, and I'm not blaming Leighton, but this has happened dozens and dozens of times in this story where there are people who will tell you what happened, but they won't be public about it because they're afraid. It's a lot like Trump and impeachment, by the way. It's, a, it's similar. It's, it's a, there's an enormous amount of fear. No one wants to go out on a limb, especially when they don't think their little bit matters. And they also think, and this is the, why the Penn State Paterno-Sandusky situation is the perfect crime, because there's lots of people who know Aaron Fisher's full of crap, but they don't understand the importance of Aaron Fisher. They think, well, okay, well, maybe just Aaron Fisher's full of crap, but these other 35 guys, they must be telling the truth. <laughs> they don't understand, one, that Aaron is what, what caused all the other 35. He's number one. <laughs> and I guarantee you that if, if all the other 35 names were publicly known as well as Aaron, there'd be people coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, my God, I can't believe this guy claimed to be a Sandusky accuser. Let me tell you who he's really all about or what he's really all about. Well, so these people are important, but I have somewhat stopped uh, even worrying about them right now because nothing's ever going to be done to fix this unless a miracle happens. So I'm only in the miracle business, okay? <laughs> I, I, I knew Malcolm Gladwell was not going to be a miracle. Malcolm Gladwell, I think, thought he was going to be a miracle with his new book, uh, Talking to Strangers, with a chapter about my work on the Sandusky-Penn State paternal case. Hasn't turned out anywhere close to that, although it could be a foothold to a miracle. And so I had a meeting this week trying to pull off a miracle. I don't think it's going to work, but that's where I am. I'm only, I'm only interested in miracles at this point. And I'll let you know if and when that uh, Hail Mary uh, goes incomplete, gets intercepted, <laughs> or maybe uh, gets uh, caught and there's a, there's a review. I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? There are people who are way more optimistic about it than I am, but after eight years of enduring this, I have good reason not to be optimistic. Uh, should the Electoral College be abolished? No. Uh, I do. I, uh, I'm looking forward. Well, there's a few things I'm looking forward to in the future of politics, but not many. One of them is I'm really looking forward to after Trump, Democrats loving the Electoral College again. <laughs> in fact, they might love the Electoral College in 2020. They only hate the Electoral College because it didn't work for them in 2016. The Electoral College still is very important. Now, I am I have been a very big proponent uh, of what I think would be a tremendously good idea, and it would be very, uh, well, at least somewhat easy to implement, because Maine and Nebraska already do it this way. To me, the Electoral College should be adjusted. Instead of having winner-take-all state-by-state, you should have the two votes representing the two senators be winner-take-all from each state, and then each congressional district have its own Electoral College vote. That's what Maine and Nebraska do. That would be effectively the same thing, but this would cause there to be an end to several problems, including uh, statewide 
uh, recounts being potentially so important like they were in 2000 and the Florida recount. We would not have had to worry about the Florida recount in 2000 if my plan had been implemented because you'd only have to worry about recounting in very close congressional districts or in a statewide recount would only count for two electoral college votes, which would make it almost impossible. I mean, statistically, it would be theoretically possible, but it would be very, very difficult for a statewide recount to determine the winner of the electoral college because, again, you're only dealing with two electoral college votes. So I would adjust the electoral college. I would not get rid of it. Uh, David asks, who is going to be president in 2020? I think they made a mistake in the way they asked the question. Because <laughs> in 2020, I believe Donald Trump's going to be president unless he dies. Uh, I think it's, he's not going to be removed. And so in 2020, Donald Trump will be president. I presume who's going to be elected president in 2020 was the question that David asked. And I don't have an answer for that. I think Trump has a, a approximately, give or take, a 50-50 chance, depending on who the Democratic nominee is. If it's Joe Biden, I think he has much less than a 50-50 chance. But if it's Elizabeth Warren or Pete Buttigieg, I think he has better than a 50-50 chance. Uh, so everything being equal, uh, I will say that I'm willing to go that there's only going to be four people who could be possibly be president. Uh, elected in 2020, barring some black swan event, right? Uh, so based upon the conditions as they currently are, there are only four people who could realistically be elected as president in 2020. In no particular order, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg. I do not believe Bernie Sanders is in that category. Uh, I don't believe Hillary Clinton is in that category either because I just cannot believe, no matter how much of a clusterfuck the Democratic primary process is, that she's ever going to be uh, picked in a brokered convention. They're going to go back to the what happened in 2016. I just I, I find that really, really hard to believe. Uh, Paul asks, I would like to hear your opinion of the Congresswoman Katie Hill case. Although she resigned like a male would have had to, it seems she didn't get the same negative treatment from the press. In fact, some press argue that she uh, was made to resign because she was a liberal woman. Do you think the case? Well, no. I agree that if she was a man, she would have had to resign. Uh, this was hypocrisy on the part of the media that they pretended that this was a situation where she was somehow forced to resign because she was a female or that she was a liberal female. Uh, she had sex with subordinates in a highly inappropriate fashion. She tried to make it into a situation where her naked photos were, were leaked and that this was somehow anti-female. No, that's not what it was. It wasn't about photos. It was about sex with subordinates as a, as a congresswoman. Uh, and so I, I think anybody would argue that in this environment, a, a male, especially a white male conservative, uh, would have been forced to resign under similar circumstances. Unless, of course, they were a huge Trump supporter and Trump backed them to the hill, which I guess is theoretically possible. So you know, you, even the hypocrisy argument in the era of Trump doesn't work as well as it used to. But uh, I, I think it was perfectly fine for Katie Hill to resign. And she's not a martyr. She's trying to make herself into a martyr, but she's not one. Uh, Marcus from Europe uh, writes, explain to me why all the GOP members who believe in real conservative values just don't start over and build a new party. As you point out so often, the GOP seems to be doomed for years to come, undermined by corrupt and lying MAGA politicians. In Europe, new parties emerge all the time. Why not in the States? Well, because we only have two. In Europe, most, uh, the, most of the, uh, the, the countries have multiple parties. 
Like in Great Britain, UK, there's I don't know how many parties. Uh, uh, I mean, so when you only have two, uh, it's very, very difficult to create a viable third one, especially when creating a viable third one is probably going to diminish the party you just came from. So the the two party system here is is way too embedded in our consciousness for a third party to become viable especially when you know let's take it out of the theoretical into the practical the republican party especially post trump is no longer anywhere near 50% of the country and so winning national elections becomes very very difficult now if you start a third party of true conservatives and libertarians by the way those people don't agree on very much even though i'm a conservative libertarian but even in theory let's say you did that let's say you took the the, the five or ten percent of actual principle-based conservatives now you've just increased the power of the socialists the liberals and so conservatives aren't going to want to do that so they're going to they're going to, you know, maintain that tie to the Republican Party because in, in doing anything else, it, it actually works to their enemy's favor. So that's the reason why that's unlikely to happen in the United States. Jeremy asks, I've listened to you since your KFI days, and I've always wondered why I don't hear abortion affecting your politics as much as it does mine. Why do you never why do I never hear you say, quote, even though I want Joe Biden to win, I have to balance that with the fact that he supports the murder of almost a million innocent children a year and will only nominate judges that allow it to continue. But here is why I think he still should be supported. Now, obviously, that's a, a facetious question, right? And I, my response to that is very pointed. The reason why I never talk about abortion is that it is a, a done issue. It's been decided. And, and this is really the core issue of what holds the Trump cult together. He has fooled them into thinking that he is fighting against abortion by, uh, you know, nominating all these conservative judges. None of these conservative judges are going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, there could be some restrictions on abortions in certain states, but even those end up getting overturned a lot of times. So on the periphery, there could be, uh, you know, situations where judges make calls that reduce the number of abortions. But to me, that's, well, I mean, I, I get the moral issue if, you, if you're reducing what you perceived to be a Holocaust. And I get why people might perceive it to be a Holocaust, that there might be a difference between, I don't know if that million a year number is accurate. It doesn't seem accurate to me. But is there a difference between a million and 985,000? To me, it's hard to wrap my brain around uh, what the significant difference there is, especially when it's theoretical. But the major thing I have here is the the issue has been set now. It's over. The debate is over. Our side lost. Pro-life lost. And there's no going back on that. Now, if you could, you know, pass a constitutional amendment banning abortion, okay, good luck. You're, you're not going to be able to do that. And, and so, uh, to me, it almost uh, pisses me off that someone like Trump has realized that he can manipulate a cult by pretending to be anti-abortion when here's a guy who told Tim Russert on national television, I'm very pro-choice. I'm very pro-choice. That, and that's just amazing. Correct. Uh, and he's still very pro-choice. So he's fooling these people. And, you know, to me, this is like... Um, you know, O.J. Simpson got acquitted of murdering two people because he was able to claim that the LAPD is racist, which 
may or may not be true, but they were certainly never racist towards him. And the idea that O.J. Simpson was the guy who got the benefit of the past alleged racism of the LAPD is, is mind-blowing. The idea that Donald Trump is benefiting more from pro-lifers than anybody else ever has when he's exceedingly pro-choice is uh, very similar, uh, very frustrating, and, and frankly just plain wrong. Um, someone asks, uh, have you ever been threatened with violent actions over your journalism? Yes. Um, by the police. I've actually been the victim of, <laughs> of violent actions by police. I got arrested at a Matt Sandusky event for just sitting in my seat with a ticket in my name. You can find that video online at framingpaterno.com. It's unbelievable. In a rational world, it would have been national news, but because of I'm not a celebrity, and because the media doesn't understand how to interpret this case, uh, it, it was completely ignored. Uh, victim number one in that case, Aaron Fisher, threatened me on Facebook with running me over with my with his truck. Uh, I don't take it seriously, uh, but you know, mo many people would because it was a direct threat by a guy who I, I think has some violent tendencies, including his wife, who is divorcing him and has claimed that he raped uh, her and has violated his uh, protection order to stay away from her because of the uh, rape allegation against him. Uh, so, yes, it's happened, and it's happened even by police. Uh, the same person asked, why does Jordy Chandler, Chandler, the original Michael Jackson accuser, remain silent, uh, even though most people believe he doesn't think he was ever abused by Michael Jackson? Well, my question would be, why wouldn't he? He's got millions and millions of dollars. He's got anonymity. If he comes forward, his life is going to go to crap. He might even think he's going to lose the money that he got in the settlement with Michael Jackson. I mean, he would become a pariah. Uh, his parents would be, which apparently he's estranged from, one of well, his father killed himself. But, I mean, he's got a lot more problems if he comes forward and says, hey, I was never abused by Michael Jackson uh, in every possible way than if he just stays silent. He's probably rationalized it that, you know what, um, you know, I didn't do anything to Michael. I never testified against him in court. You know, I just got paid because uh, the insurance company decided it was a good idea to pay me off. Uh, my life is good. Why would I say anything? Uh, and unfortunately, that's the way most people act now. And that's the way that most people think. Uh, Les asks, did Lee Harvey Oswald really act alone? Uh, I, yes, and I know he wants a longer explanation. We're coming up on the anniversary of the JFK assassination, so maybe I'll give a full explanation of that later, but I'm up against the clock here. So I, I'm going to have to beg off on that because it's a way, way too involved uh, question. It's a good question. I do believe that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, uh, effectively acted alone. I think he might have been inspired by uh, Guy Bannister and David Ferry, uh, which, who are characters in an otherwise bullshit movie. Um, but it's very clear to me that the only person who fired a gun that day against JFK was Lee Harvey Oswald, and I can explain exactly why I believe that in a later date. And finally, Mike asks, um, I've been a fan of yours since 2000, 2011. Uh, I am a musician. Uh, what music do you like? Um, I'm not a, a music person, so to speak. I like music. I like music with good lyrics, which means I don't like anything made past, like, what, uh, 2005? I don't know. I mean, maybe even 1995. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't like anything past, like, 1985. I mean, because uh, there are no lyrics in, in music anymore. Um, and since I'm a lyric guy and I like things with uh, piano and guitar, is if it's got a piano, guitar, or violin and good lyrics, I like it. That's basically my rule. 
Uh, taking that out of the theoretical into the practical, I guess my two favorite artists, and this hardly makes me unusual growing up in uh, Philadelphia in the 1980s, would be Billy Joel, like Billy Joel. And this is odd coming from a conservative because he's a, he was an extraordinary liberal, if not a socialist. Uh, I had a real uh, soft spot in my heart for Harry Chapin. Uh, Cats in the Cradle, uh, you know, that kind of whole thing. He died in a car accident. I think around 1980, my mother was a huge fan of Harry Chapin. She got me into Harry Chapin. I tried to get her into Billy Joel, not a success man's Chapin, uh, but similar uh, in in their music and the fact that they actually give a damn about lyrics, telling stories. Uh, so I would say that uh, Harry Chapin and Billy Joel are my all-time uh, favorite, which is odd because I don't even like the male voice as a singer. I prefer the female voice. But uh, because I also prefer lyrics, I'll go with Billy Joel and Harry Chapin. That'll do it for this episode of the World According to Zig podcast and our, I guess you call it, bi-yearly episode of Ask John Anything. I hope I've gotten to as many of the questions as I possibly could have. Like I said, I'll revisit some of those that I was not able to fully answer uh, as soon as I can on future episodes of the World According to Zig podcast. As is always the case, I ask only two things of you. Number one, please share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And number two, if you're one of those people who sleeps, and if you, when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.